Well, good morning. We, uh, if, I hope those of you who missed Cultivate missed an epic night. Um, one of my favorite, favorite uh, things that we did uh, was we had this, this dragon pinata that was like 10 foot long, and I slayed it with a sword. And, and then there was about 75 children that disemboweled that thing. And I literally, it was five minutes of a feeding frenzy. All I saw were heads and butts. And, and one kid looked up at Pastor Steve with a crazed look in her eyes and said, this is the most amazing day of my life. <laughs> like, like she didn't get enough candy at Halloween or, excuse me, the Christian alternative of trunk or treat. Um, anyway. Anyway, uh, we've been in a sermon series that uh, I've called... The God I Never Knew, where we've been talking about the person, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And it comes out of this, this idea of growing up, for me, growing up in the church and not really knowing what to do with the Holy Spirit. Like I knew God the Father, he was the one to pray to, Father God, Father God, Father God. And then there was Jesus, God's Son, died, made a way for me to uh, have a relationship with God. And then, um, and then there's the Holy Spirit, it's like the Holy Ghost what they called him, and I didn't really know what to do with him, or he always got left out of my prayers, and was I supposed to be praying to him? What what was my relationship supposed to look like? And so we have dove headlong into some landmines of controversial topics over the past six weeks. We've talked about Pentecostal, charismatic. Uh, We talked about, last week, we talked about the gift of tongues. So so if you missed last week, love for you to, you can catch up any of those sermons on nlc.today. But uh, today, I want to talk about what it means to be led by the Spirit. Or the title of my message is Spirit Driven. And uh, we, we, we as like, you know, charismatic churches specifically uh, use that term or terms like that a lot. You know, like uh, well, a Spirit-led church, Spirit-filled believer. We talk about life in the Spirit, the Spirit-filled life. Uh, what, what does that look like really, though, in the life of a follower of Jesus? And so the Lord had me stuck in a specific portion of Scripture this week. And, um, and really and truly, like, as we've been journeying through this sermon series together, I just really feel like hand to mouth, like, like God is just kind of like, okay, this is where we're going next. This is where we're going next. And so I couldn't get away from it this week. And it's essentially looking at the life of Jesus, the, the, the ultimate spirit-led man, right? Like fully God, fully man, but, but fully led as a man by the Spirit of God. Because if you want to know what it looks like to be a spirit-led person, it probably looks a lot like Jesus, right? And you're like, well, I can, never, I can never look like that. Jesus is perfect. I understand that. But what it looks like to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in the life of a human uh, looks a whole lot like Jesus. And um, so I want to, we're going to have two portions of scripture that we're going to read. The first one is going to be in Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 9. And so if you would, I want to invite you to stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. I have a bunch of things to say, but, but nothing, it, nothing it, it all pales in comparison to the word of God. Mark chapter 1, verse 9, starts out, it says, At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan, and just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, I want you to just, just wrap your head around this. He was coming up out of the waters of baptism. He looks up and sees heaven being torn open 
and the, and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Not a dove like the Spirit, but the Spirit like a dove. And a voice came from heaven and says this, You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. In verse 12 it says, At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. Now, let's pause there for a second. We're going to pick up in Luke chapter 4. Luke kind of gives us a little more info. Uh, he, he develops this, this story a little bit more of what actually went down here. So Luke chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, he just got baptized. The Spirit just descended on him. It says he left the Jordan after being baptized and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. And at the end of them, master of the obvious, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you're the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, well, it's written, man shall not live on bread alone. The devil then led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I'll give you all their authority and splendor. It's been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and, and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And he says, if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. Cliff jump. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up on their hands in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all of this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. Lord Jesus, I, I pray that you would reveal your word to us. Help us to see and to maybe um, glean from your life what it looks like to live a spirit-led life, to be spirit-driven. God, I pray that you would help us to be willing to go to places we wouldn't go on our own, uh, whether we like it or not. And so, God, we thank you that you speak to us today. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thanks. All right. So... Let's just recap for a moment of what just went down. This is Jesus' big moment. Like, this is the apex. This is like from here on out. He gets baptized. Everything just culminates from there until he, you know, he dies and rises from the dead and all these things. But this is a pretty stinking big day. The entire Trinity is in one place at one time and a whole crowd can see it. You've got Jesus, the Holy Spirit descending, Father God speaking audible voice from heaven. It's amazing. Like this, is a, this is a pretty big day. Jesus gets baptized in water. And if, here's the thing. If anybody could opt out of getting baptized, it would be Jesus, right? Didn't really need to necessarily get baptized. But he did it to fulfill all righteousness. So a shameless plug for baptism, you don't have any excuse. If you haven't been baptized, you need to sign up. Oh, good news. We have a class next week you can go to. So go to nlc.today or look that card that you're probably sitting on and fill that out to fulfill all righteousness and to be obedient to what it is that God wants. All right, I'm going to move on. All right. <clears throat> so he gets baptized. The Holy Spirit descends on him. Father God speaks in an audible voice and validates him and says, this is my son. I love him and I am so pleased with him. 
That's the word of God over Jesus. And the funny thing is, is Jesus hasn't done anything yet. Like, how are you pleased with him? He hasn't cast out any demons. He hasn't healed any sick people. He hasn't even preached a sermon. Like, and, and Father God looks down on him and says, I, this is my son and I'm so pleased with him. This is the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. He is now baptized. He is full of the Holy Spirit. And he is ready to turn the world upside down. So, what happens next? Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus, this is awesome, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit. Don't miss that. It was led by the Spirit. Where? To a microphone? To, to a press conference? Where all of the major networks were waiting to hear him? To a castle and a kingdom that was already prepared for him to rule and reign for all eternity? Nope. No, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Mark's gospel, we read it in Mark chapter 1, verse 12. It actually says at once or immediately or as soon as he gets, you know, baptized, immediately the Spirit sent him into the wilderness. Like, can I just say it? Holy Spirit, slow the heck down. What is, the, what is the stinking rush right here? Like, this would be a good time to kind of linger, you know? Photo ops, autographs need to be signed, babies need to be kissed, hands need to be shaked. You know, I mean, you, you, there's a whole lot of things that, that could have, should have, would have happened here, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit is just like, nope, I got a plan. And it's not to stay around here for photo, photo ops, it's in the wilderness. Now, Here's what I want you to understand. If you've never been to Israel, I, I, I went a few years ago to Israel. I actually spent the night in the Judean wilderness. Let me, let me help you understand. This is not like the great Maine northern woods, okay? This is not pine trees and great bird country, if you're bird hunters, right? This, is, this isn't logging trails. This is like a desert with kind of hills and mountains and nothingness. It's beautiful, but not like I want to raise my kids there. Beautiful. You understand what I'm saying? Like, this is a place that I, I wouldn't want to spend two days, let alone 40 days, in this harsh topography and climate and all these things. And this is where the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into. And I want you to understand this. This is not a destination. Nobody's like, well, where'd you go this weekend? Oh, I just, you know, spent the, spent the weekend in the Judean desert. It was, it was absolutely phenomenal. No, nobody does this. This is not a place where you go. This is not a place where it's like, oh, yeah, uh, you're going to the Judean wilderness too? Can I catch a ride? Like, this is the place that nobody wants to go. This isn't a destination. It's a holding pattern. We watch, it's like the, the Israelites wandered around in the desert for 40 years, 40 days, 40 years. You understand, they were wandering in the desert. This wasn't a destination. This was a holding pattern until they got to the promised land that was the destination. So, your first note is this. Being driven by the Holy Spirit means that sometimes he leads us into places we would not choose on our own. Hmm. <laughs> So, if you find yourself in a place that you would rather not be in, which probably, if I had you raise your hand, you'd be like, yeah, I'm kind of in that place right now. I'd kind of rather not be in the place that I'm at right now financially, relationally, maritally. Uh, there's a whole lot of elies that I don't really want to be in right now. I'd rather not be in this situation of my life. 
if you find yourself in a place like that, it could be that God has a plan even though you don't see it. We just sang about it, didn't we? Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. What I find is that the spirit-filled life is not me leading God where I want to go and then having him bless it. I, 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 I would love it to be that way, to be honest with you. I would love being like, yes, I am filled with the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit. Now I got to go here and choose where I want to go. And God, you come along with me because you're going to bless this thing. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be all you, but pretty much I'm going to tell you where we're going to go. And we're going to do this thing together, right, you and me? We're a team. I lead and you follow. No, actually, that's not how it works at all. It's not how it works. Some, most, all the time, saying yes to Jesus... <laughs> means saying no to me. I'd like to say sometimes, but it was pretty much 100% for me. Saying yes to Jesus means saying no to me. You are spirit-filled, not so that you can, oh, wow, isn't this great? I've got this this spirit dwelling, living inside me. You're spirit-filled so that you can fulfill your calling that God has placed on your life. That is the purpose of the spirit-filled life so that he can fulfill those good works that he's planned ahead of time for you. Galatians 5.25 says this, since we live by the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. This Greek word that, that Paul uses for keep in step with the spirit has a connotation that it's like proceeding in a row like the marching of a soldier. So essentially he's saying like to keep in step with the spirit means that sometimes he leads you into places that you wouldn't choose on your own. Sometimes he leads you into war. And most times you don't necessarily know the destination. I mean, if, if you think about this, and, and, and I'm going to, this is my own, my own interpretation, right? So, so you can do with it what you like. You can email me later. Um, I don't think that the Holy Spirit told Jesus the destination in the beginning. I don't. Why? Because the wilderness is not a destination. It's an adventure. I, I, I think that Jesus simply followed step by step by step as the Spirit led him, right? Okay, well, because here's, here's the reality. If the Holy Spirit told you, hey, listen, you just had an awesome day and you're just validated by God. You got baptized. That was a pretty awesome day. So tomorrow, here's what we're going to do. We're going to spend 40 days. Oh, by the way, you're not going to be eating for those 40 days in a desert that you don't want to go to. And I'm sure you got other things planned and stuff, but that's what we're doing. I'd be like, ah, no. How about I just... Uh, I'll cut down on my Netflix a little bit, and, uh, and I'll just kind of pray more. Could I just do that? And then we'll call, it, we'll call it 40 Days of Temptation in the Desert. Wouldn't that be awesome, right? We could just do that. And God's like, no, actually, all right, here's the deal. You just follow me. Where are we going? Just follow me. Well, okay, just take this next step in what I'm calling you to do. And that is the hardest thing for a follower of Christ to do. Because what I find out about myself is that I am, I am pretty obsessed with destinations. Like, 
I remind myself of my kids on a road trip with God. I am constantly like, are we there yet? How much longer? I'm hungry. I have to go to the bathroom, right? Like, I mean, literally, like, every step of the way. God, how much longer? Are we going to get there? And what I find is that God seems to be much more concerned about my obedience to follow him than he is about the destination. I always want to know where he's, where he's leading me. And God's like, would you just follow? But where are we going? Just, just keep following. You'll figure it out. And I think that the Holy Spirit is looking for a man or a woman to say, I would rather go there with you than to stay here alone. I think, I think the Holy Spirit is looking for a man or a woman who would say, God, I would rather be in your will in the wilderness than out of your will in paradise. Like, I desperately, desperately, desperately want to be obedient to your will in my life. And when we begin to realize that God is, is just as interested in the journey than he is in the destination, then we start to understand that he's cultivating obedience over arrival in our life. I want to know about the arrival. And he's like, I want you to know about the obedience. Because see, what I find is this, that so many times in my life, God will will bring us on journeys that are perfectly designed to expose our insecurities. I'm going to say that again. So many times in our life, God will bring you on a journey that is perfectly designed to expose your insecurities. Like, you may be in a season like this right now, and you're just all up in your insecurities, right? And you're thinking, this has got to be from the devil. And yet the Spirit is leading you there, and you're like, Get behind me, Satan. And God's like, no, I've actually led you here to expose your insecurities. Well, why would you want to do that? So that you can become secure in me. And if, as long as we're unwilling to venture into the adventure of, of allowing God to expose our insecurities, we will continually live our life with a mask on and a plastic smile saying everything's okay until everything falls apart. And I've said this before, that God can only heal who you are, not who you pretend to be. And he will continually lead us to places you would not choose that expose your insecurities so that you can become more secure in him and in him alone. Because many times it's the places that we choose to avoid are the very things that God can use the most. That phone call that you, that you just refused to make, could be a tripping point for you in the spirit to move forward in something that God has prepared for you. I know, I'm meddling now. Okay, I'll stop. It gets better. Okay, it gets better. Verse 2. <clears throat> so not only is he led by the spirit, we read that, into the wilderness, but it is for a divine appointment. With who? Verse 2. He was led into the wilderness by the Spirit, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hangry. <laughs> Wrap your head around this. Satan is literally waiting for Jesus. This is quite possibly the worst blind date possible, right? 
We're just going, oh, I'm just following the Holy Spirit. This is where I'm leading. What are we doing? You led me here, and he's waiting for me, and i got to spend 40 days with this idiot? Like, and he's going to be tempting me, and this cannot be what it is that you're calling me to. I mean, if you think about it for Jesus, one moment he is in community with the Father and the Holy Spirit, and he's like, yeah, this is awesome, and the next moment he's in conflict. One moment he's literally hearing validation from a voice from heaven, and the next moment he's hearing a voice from hell. And like, how can this be the plan? This certainly cannot be the plan. He's one, like, this, this, this is crazy. And it's interesting to me that right after the validation comes, the temptation comes. <laughs> and isn't that how it always seems to work in your life? I find so often that the temptation comes right after the victory. You ever been there where you're just like, man, God just does something amazing in your life. He restores something. You just got a bonus in the mail and you're like, hallelujah. Do you see how good I am? I mean, Jesus is blessing me. I mean, I'm, I, I earned it, but like, God, hey, thank you, Jesus. You know, and all of a sudden you were confronted Monday morning with a full head-on opposition that you never had before. What in the world's going on? I just got this validation from God, and now all of a sudden I met with opposition from the devil. And here's what we, we need to wrestle with, and this isn't like a popular thing, but it's this reality that the approval of heaven does not absolve you from the attack of the enemy. And in fact, some of you that are in uh, what, what I would call a, maybe a difficult trial right now, it's not because God's mad at you. It's because he approves of you. <laughs> yeah, I know that's not easy. Jesus tells a parable, uh, Matthew chapter 13, and we know it as the sower and the seed. You know, the, the sower goes out and sows seed, and some of it falls in the path, and some of it grows up. It gets choked by weeds, and some of it grows, and some of it doesn't, all this stuff. And he, there's a portion in here in, in verse 19 that he, he explains to us of what it is that he's trying to talk about when the birds come and snatch it as soon as it lands, right? And he says in verse 19 of Matthew 13, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. And I've been asking the Lord this week in my prayer time, I was like, God, how does Satan snatch the word of God out of our hearts? Is it because he's like, he's like fast and wily and sneaky, right? Is that like, how in the world does he do it? And the Lord corrected me, just spoke to my heart and was like, no. Literally said it's because you're not holding on to it like you own it. I mean, you've, you've allowed the, the word of God to kind of get sewed on you and it's, it's landed on you, maybe bounced off some of it and some of it's just sitting there, but you haven't actually had the opportunity to plant it and to own it for yourself. Because something that you own, you fight for it, you guard it, and you defend it. You know that? Think about this. You try to go after one of my kids, I'll kick you in the teeth. That's my kid. No, I, no offense, but I will kick you in the teeth and, and I won't even feel bad about it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, 
but I, I love you, but I will kick you in the face. Like, here's the, but that's just a reality, right? Because why? Because those are my kids. You ever seen like little, old, I've seen these videos of like little old ladies with like, you know, 80 years old with, with, uh, with you know, they've got their purse and someone tries to mug them and they just start beating them with the purse. You've just seen them and it's just like, lady, let it go. You're 80 years old. What do you have? You know, you've got like some change and some, I don't, what, what could you have in there that is that important? She's like, it's mine and I will beat you to death with it. Because when you own something, it becomes a part of you, and you'll fight for it, you'll guard it, and you'll do anything to, you, listen, and, and that's what, it, when we talk about the Word of God, the Word of God can get thrown on you, and it can land on you, but if you don't own it, if you don't and, and take this in and start believing it about yourself, then, the, then it's very easy for Satan to just come by and say, yeah, yep, 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 and it's gone. Why? Because you don't own it. You don't own it. It's this reality when something is truly treasured that we treat it differently. And how many of you know that someone can, can tell you who you are, but it's usually through testing that you start to own it for yourself. And that's the difficult part of it because we see tests as negative things. I mean, I don't want to take a test. Are you kidding me? Tests are horrible. Like, I, I, don't, I don't like tests of any sort right? But a test is simply an opportunity to prove that you know what you think that you know. Before that, it's just words. Well, you know that you're accepted, that you're adopted, that you're a child of God. Yeah, that sounds really good until you go through something that you need to overcome. Listen, we can say, well, I live a life of victory in Jesus. Well, what have you had to overcome? Because until that's tested, you don't really know that tr to be true for yourself. It sounds really good, and man, I could sing it all day long, and that sounds great. But when you have gone through a trial, when, that, when Satan has tried to attack you or attack your family and tried to steal that from you, I'm just telling you, there are people in here that say, I live a, a victorious life in Jesus. Why? Because I've had to overcome stuff. And I can say all day long that I live a victorious life, but it's just words until you've had to go through a test. That you know that you know that you know what you think that you know. Yeah, you get that? So, let me show you how Jesus does battle. I was joking around earlier that, um, well, Jesus was hungry, you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of like, well, duh, you know, of course he is. Um, I firmly believe that every word in the Bible is there for a purpose, is there for a reason. So I was asking the Lord, like, all right, God, like, what, what does he was hungry communicate to us? Okay, well, how do you act when you're hungry? How does the person next to you act when they're hungry? When the pastor goes a little bit late and your tumbly starts to rumbly. You on a good mood? You, you living your best life then? Is that right? Is that how it works? No, I, you probably the bear comes out in you and you're very difficult to live with or to be next to. Um, people just start throwing meat in your general direction hoping that you just leave them alone, right? Because right, you're hungry. So it's important for us to understand what is it that Scripture is trying to, to get us to understand. It's this, that Jesus did not defeat Satan in his human strength. He defeated him in the power of the Spirit. And what do I mean by that? Whenever we're at the end of ourself, I mean, he was tired, he hadn't eaten, he literally, all of his flesh was just raging against him, right? We have a choice in those moments of time where we're going through a trial and everything's coming at us. Am I going to choose to live out of my flesh, which I know will end in somebody dying? Or 
Do I choose to walk in the Spirit? Am I going to lean in? And there's this, there's this choice, this, this balance that we all live in. And Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says this, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. And catch this. He says, for my power is made perfect in weakness. What? It's like when I'm the weakest, God can work the greatest? He says, therefore, I will boast, boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, it is then I am strong. It's like Jesus was emptied of all of his ability to be able to cope in his humanity. He was hangry times 40. And all he had to rely on was the power of the Spirit. And so when we talk about being Spirit-driven and Spirit-led, we all have a choice. Am I going to choose to live out of my flesh or am I going to choose to live out of my spirit. I love the, the, the devil says to him this, this first thing in verse 3. He says catch, catch, catch the tone. He says if you are the son of God if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And this is so significant because what just happened prior to this? Jesus was baptized, and there was an audible voice of God the Father from heaven. And what was the statement? This is my son. And immediately he goes into the desert, and he's having a really difficult time. And Satan's first tactic, his first words to Jesus are, if that's true, like if you are really the son of God. He immediately comes and, and says, if that's really true, then prove it. If I mean, are you really sure that you heard him correctly? I mean, there was a lot of, rawr, 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 rawr. I don't really know. I didn't, I didn't make out a couple of those words. Are you sure that he was really speaking to you, Jesus? I mean, maybe you need to show me by doing what I want you to do. Prove it. Your second point is this, that Satan tries to get us to doubt in the wilderness what God has shown you in the water. It's real easy to believe God in the waters of baptism. It's very difficult to choose to believe him in the wilderness. And Satan always begins with our identity. You really think that you're a new creation in Christ? I mean, come on, really? You, you think that you've you got victory over sin? I mean, why do you still struggle in that area of your life then? Continually causing doubt. If you are this, then this. Because Satan knows that if he can rob you of your identity, then you won't live out of your identity. It's just a really good, nice thing to say or to sing about or to read about or to hear a sermon about. But it's not necessarily something that you own, that you will guard, that you will defend, that you will kick somebody in the teeth over. Now that's a different thing, isn't it? Altogether. Do you own it? And I just want to remind you, Christian... You need to start reminding yourself of who it is that God says 
about you rather than settling for what the world wants to identify you as. Because the world will say to you things like, well, once an addict, always an addict. I mean, there's just not much getting around that. You're always going to be identified as that. That's kind of who you are. You, you really think that you've changed? I mean, you just, you're going to church now. Congratulations, you're doing something different on a Sunday than I am. Satan will start to just, you know, call us out and say, you know, well, you're never really going to amount to anything other than the accumulation of your past. You're never going to get by that. Can I tell you, do not doubt in the wilderness what God has shown you in the waters. So if you're in the wilderness right now, and when I say wilderness, sometimes we think like, oh, I'm just in a really rough place or, you know, I lost my job or whatever. Sometimes it's just, it's just a place that you would rather not go to. Some of you need to go back and open up your journals and read your prayers to God and the words that God's spoken over you. Reread prophetic words that have been spoken over your life to remind you who it is that God says that you are. What was it that my father spoke over me in the water? Because I'm hearing a whole bunch of crap from everybody else around me right now, and I'm trying to really starting to believe that. I mean, I don't even really even like that person that said that about me, but why is that sticking with me? And now I'm starting to believe it about myself rather than the heavens being torn open and the Father God speaking validation over my life. I'm choosing to believe a loser. Really, Satan? You think you got something better for me than what God has got for me? I'm going to listen to a loser? Like, you lost, dude. Newsflash. It doesn't end well for you. So, like, I mean, anything you got for me, I don't even know if we can actually cash in on this thing because it's, your time is limited, dude. Like, you're just kind of spinning, trying to just take anyone down with you. But you aren't taking me down. You aren't going to take me down. So Satan tries first to, to get us to doubt our identity. And then in verse 5, he, he does the next thing. He says, the devil led him up on a high place and showed him all the, instantly all the kingdoms of the world. This must have been a, an amazing sight, right? And he said to him, I'll give you all the authority and splendor, and it's been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want. All you got to do is worship me, and it will be yours. What is Satan offering him? He's offering him success, authority, worldly wealth, splendor, respect. I mean, everything that we're tempted as well. We, we, we think that, well, maybe the world is going to give me something better than what God wants to give me. Maybe I want what everybody else is chasing after. You ever been there before? Where you're like, Everyone around you is running towards something, and you're like, I think I need it too. I'm going to go follow. Right? It's like everyone's getting there. It's what happened with Tickle Me Elmo back in the 90s. Remember this? People were trampled and killed. I don't know why I need a Tickle Me Elmo, but everybody else needs one, and my, darn it, my kid needs one. And so I will steal and kill and, and whatever I need to do to get a Tickle Me Elmo. This is what we start to, we start to have this re, this. this this urge on the inside of us that I need what everybody else is chasing after. This is what Satan has been doing for, for years. And he says, all you got to do is bow down to me. That's it. Just, just bow down. And Jesus answers in verse 8, it's, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. <laughs> in other words, he's like, to think. 
a defeated foe is going to give me something better than my father in heaven? Dude, you're a loser. Go find somebody else to talk to. Because Satan tries to get you to bow down to what is already under your feet. And for some of us, we're thinking, maybe I want to go back to that thing. I mean, I know it's under my feet, but, but for some reason, I know it used to bring me some sense of security, some sense of satisfaction. Maybe I'm going to go back to him, her. Maybe I'm going to go back to that because I think that maybe that will be the answer. And Satan continually props things up that are already underneath your feet and says, see, this might be better than what you have. And if we're not careful, we don't just go, nope. Nope, because that's actually my footstool, so that'd be great if you could just keep it down there. It's actually part of the testimony of what God has freed me from. Why would I want to go back to pick up that which God has just freed me from? But he continually tries to get us to bow down to what is already underneath our feet. Luke chapter 4, verse 9. This is the last thing. The devil... um, led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And he said, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. For it's written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. It's crazy because Satan just kind of takes this verse out of context and twists it. It's Psalm 91. You can read it later. He literally takes this and just kind of says, yeah, you should throw yourself off to this off of this uh, tower because uh, Psalm 91 says that you can do it. And you should, because I'm asking you to do it, to, to prove it to me, right? And we're always faced with a choice when we're tempted. Am I going to change scripture to look like I want it to look like? Or am I going to submit myself to the word of God and say, God, I want you to transform me, change me from the inside out, and I will walk in obedience to your word rather than cherry pick out of the back and say, God, tell me what I want to hear. That's the one. That's the one I want. That's the one. It's the temptation of Satan. It's the temptation for Jesus, and it's the temptation for every single one of us. And Jesus responds, he says, It is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. In the waters of baptism... The word of God was spoken over Jesus. And in the wilderness, the word of God is spoken out of Jesus. Can I just encourage you, Christian, Christ follower, can I encourage you in this? Once the word of God has been spoken over you, you need to get the word of God spoken out of you. And the only way you get the word of God to come out of you is if you put it in you. As I look around at American Christianity, there is an illiteracy when it comes to the, to the word, to the scriptures. And, and, and I mean this in as much love as you can receive it. Could it be that some of the reason why you're struggling with a temptation and why you can't seem to get out of the trial that you're in is because you're trying to do battle with your own psychology, mind, and intuition rather than relying on the open word of God and using that as your weapon. This is your weapon. It is so important for you to know the weapons of your warfare. Know your weapon. 
clean your weapon. Don't let the enemy steal your weapon. Why? Because you can either slay your enemy with this weapon or the enemy will use this weapon to slay you. We see this. This is what was attempted towards Jesus. So he, he, he obeys. He gets baptized. He, he comes up out of the water. The spirit comes down. Um, Jesus obeys the spirit again and, and is led into the wilderness. He, and let's recap. He's tempted in three different ways. He's tempted to, to doubt his identity. He's tempted to bow down to what is already underneath his feet. And he's tempted to, to twist scripture to say what he wants it to say. Like temptation, what I found in my life is always the attempt to get you to try to be something that you're not or to not be something that you are. It is always about identity. Let me say that one more time. Temptation is always an attempt to get you to be something that you're not or to not be something that you are. It is always at its core about a selling out to an alternative identity. Hmm. All right. He passes the test. Luke chapter 4, verse 14. He says, Jesus returned to Galilee. And this is, a, this is an interesting word he's, he uses. He says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread throughout the whole country. I don't want you to miss this, so catch this. If you look at verse 1 and you look at verse 14, Jesus was led into the wilderness full of the Spirit, but he was led out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. Did you catch this? There's a difference here. Something happened in the wilderness. He submitted himself to walking into the wilderness. He went in full of the Spirit and comes out in the power of the Spirit. So what happened out there? That's it. He was obedient. He was obedient, submitted himself to the testing. It's not earth-shattering. It's not that mysterious or even all that spiritual. Let me, let me, let me help you understand this. It was his obedience that turned fullness into power. If I could drop the mic right there and you would just have one thing, I would love for you to take it right there. It was Jesus' obedience that turns fullness into power. Can I tell you, as I look around at, at Christianity today, many of us want the power without the obedience. God, if you just give me this gift, or I, I, want, to, I want to just walk in that gifting, or I want, to, I, I, I want to see this, I want to, I want to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. God, I want to walk in the power that you want to give me. I know that I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. Now give me the power to be able to execute this thing. And Jesus says, it only comes one way. It's when you, when you submit in obedience that your fullness becomes power. It only comes one way. It came one way for Jesus. How is it going to come any other way for you? Any other way. And if I were to say one thing to you, it's this. Stop, stop waiting till you feel like it. Oh, I just, just kind of wait until, like, you know, I, I know I'm harping on baptism, but you're like, just kind of wait until I felt like being publicly embarrassed in a pool in front of a bunch of people I don't know. It's kind of wait until I felt like that. No, here's the deal. We walk in obedience to what it is that God's called us to, even if we don't necessarily know what it's going to look like. We sing about it. 
It's another thing to walk it. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Even when I don't understand where you're leading me, I'm trusting you. Even when I don't know where the destination is, I'm walking. I'm taking next steps in obedience to you. I'm telling you, it's the key to walking in the power of the Spirit. If we're not willing to submit to the obedience of the revealed Word of God or to the obedience of the leading of the Spirit in our life, we'll be full. But that doesn't cause overflow in power in our life. An old proverb says this, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. And so I want to leave you with just a couple thoughts. One, what is your next step? What's your next step? And you're like, well, I don't know. I'm supposed to be a missionary in Zimbabwe, I guess. No, no, I wasn't talking about something that big. I mean, maybe that'd be awesome, but it's your five-year plan, okay? Let's just chill out, right? What if you're just supposed to get baptized? Well, Seems a little simple. Exactly. I'm supposed to be a missionary in Zimbabwe. Why don't you start with step one? Can we, can we do that? Why don't you have that conversation that you've not been wanting to have with that person that you'd rather not talk to? Maybe that's step one for you. Well, just Zimbabwe's calling. No, your mom's calling. You know what I mean? Maybe, maybe for some of you, you need to break off that relationship that you just know is going nowhere. Put a ring on it, buddy. Like, it's not going to, it's not, it's not heading anywhere. Zimbabwe. Come on, are you kidding me? Zimbabwe ain't happening, right? Maybe for some of you, it's that choice to go back to school or sign up for that group that you've been like, well, I just don't feel like connected around here, but I, I don't want to necessarily sign up. Maybe for some of you, it's to flush the drugs down the toilet. I was kind of hoping they flush themselves down the toilet. You know, I just kind of, if I prayed enough, they would go, and they would flush, but they're not, so I guess I'll just do them. Like, flush the drugs down the toilet. Sometimes we make this spirit-led thing into all oh, this mysterious, like we're hippies. I don't know, I'm just no, I not felt the Holy Spirit move on me, dude. Like, no. For some of us, maybe it's just making the call. There's a prophetic word that I wrote down. I don't know who this is for, but this was the word that the Lord had me write down, and it is this. It's a phrase, and the word is this, sell it already. That's how he said it. I don't know who it's for, but I just want to be obedient to it, but that's how he said it. And what I mean by that, I don't know what it is, what it is, but he said it like that, like, like he's been talking to you about it, and he was like, sell it already. That's kind of how he said it to me. I was like, I don't want to interpret this. I'm just saying, if that's for you, then don't just let it bounce off of you, but sell it already. Okay. <clears throat> Many times we think that it's so much more mysterious than it really is. And here's the reality. To be spirit-driven is simply sensing God's leading and taking the next step of following him. And sometimes, look it, it's better for you not to know the destination. Because <laughs> there's sometimes you're like, ah, I'd rather just not go all there. We could just, I'm just going to stay here. I'm just going to, I think here's good, right? But we sense his leading and we start moving and keeping in step with the Spirit. Why don't you stand with me? <laughs>
spirit-driven. Oh. All right, so this, this portion of Scripture, I'm going to end with this, with this last portion of Scripture that he, that he says. And it's always kind of boggled me a little bit because it says in verse 13, when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. It's kind of a little foreboding, isn't it? Like, I've always wondered, like, when was that? Like, when, when was the more opportune time? When, was, was there a time in Jesus' life where the devil came back to tempt him? And it was when Jesus would be at the end of himself again. Can I just tell you, sometimes the devil waits until you are tired, unsure, you, you, you are wiped out, you're at the end of yourself, and then he strikes. And the Lord showed me in Matthew chapter 16, it's later on in Jesus' life, in fact, it's the end of Jesus' life. Verse 21, it says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples some really hard truth. He's like, guys, look, I'm gonna go to Jerusalem, I'm gonna suffer many things, at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and then he must be killed. And on the third day, he's going to be raised to life. But my goodness, there's a whole lot of suffering and pain that goes in the midst of all that. And Peter, in verse 22, took him aside, and he began to rebuke him. And he's like, never, God, never. He said, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said something to Peter. He said to him, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Jesus looks into Peter's eyes and rebukes him, and he says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. I don't know about you, but I've always read this, and I'm like, this is the thought that goes through my head. Well, that escalated quickly. <laughs> you ever been there? You're like, dang, Jesus, what in the world? Like, you didn't just kind of like hush him, like give him a, like, you know, three strikes, you're out or something. Like, you just like, get thee behind me, Satan? Like, is Peter literally Satan incarnate? Is that what Jesus is communicating? No. What's he saying then? He's saying that Peter was echoing something. He was echoing Satan's temptation. He was an echo. And Jesus knew that he couldn't even give it the time of day get behind me, Satan, immediately. Like, whoa, chill out. No, no. Why, was, why did he react like that? I think it's because what Peter was saying sounded really tempting. I mean, really tempting. And Jesus was rebuking Peter, but he was really rebuking Satan's attempt to yet again take him off his course. What was the echo? It was the same thing. If we deduce it down, it was to doubt his identity, that he came to do what he knew he came to do, and there was no other way around it. So to doubt his identity, 
It was also encouraging him to bow down to what was already underneath his feet. Well, maybe I don't have to go through all the pain and suffering. Maybe I don't have to go to the cross. Maybe, maybe there's another way. And we hear Jesus even say that at the Garden of Gethsemane. Like, if this cup can pass from me, let it be. Like, if we don't have to do it this way, let there be another way. And he was encouraged to twist scripture to make it say what he wanted it to say. Maybe there's another way. Maybe we could find a loophole. Maybe this doesn't have to happen the way that it looks like it needs to happen, that I know it needs to happen. And he essentially says to Peter these words, and this is in my own translation, you are getting in the way of my obedience. I cannot follow the leading of the Spirit if I'm tripping over you. And for some of us in here, Man, we're, we're tripping over people all day long. We've got these friends and people that, that are telling us, ah, that's stupid, you shouldn't do that. Really, that's a bad idea. You shouldn't. And we're trying to follow the leading of the Spirit while we're tripping over people that are supposed to be helping us. And he looks at his friend. He says, get out of the way. You're in the way of my obedience. Like, I love you, Peter, but the echo that you're saying right now is not of God. So I need you to move out of the way. What I would say to you right now as we end in worship here today is this. Maybe you feel like you're in a wilderness right now where, where God's got you in a holding pattern, in a place where you would rather not be. You wouldn't choose it on your own. This place that you're in, you just, you, don't, you, you have a hard time understanding why, why in the world God would even have you here. You don't understand the purpose of it. Here's what I will say to you. Don't lose your worship in the wilderness because it's real easy to worship him in the water. But it's in the testing of the wilderness where we start to doubt the word of God, where we start to, to doubt the voice of God, and we start to try to believe the voice of the enemy, and we lose our worship in the wilderness when it's the very time that we need to stop trying to lift up or to bow down to things that are already under our feet and to lift up the name of Jesus and say, God, I don't know what you're up to and I don't know why you have me here, but God, I, I don't like retaking tests. And so God, if we could just take this thing one time and I could learn what I need to learn, God, I pray that it wouldn't just be a word that has been spoken over me, but it'd be a word that I believe about myself, that I'm a new creation in you. Behold, old things have passed away and all things are new, that I am not always going to be an addict, that I am not always going to be that which my parents said that I would be, that I am not an accumulation of my past, but God, you had given us a hope and a future to live above and beyond. God, I pray and I thank you that you have written us a new story and we want to walk into that new story. And so God, make it real to us today that we wouldn't be seduced by our past or to believe the lies of the enemy, but that we would believe that which you spoke over us in the water and we wouldn't doubt it in the wilderness, to be obedient, even when things aren't going the way we hoped they would, even when things aren't going the way we think they should. God, I, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Even when I don't understand it, you're working. And so, Jesus, we submit to you. I will walk in obedience to you. I pray you turn fullness into power in the midst of our people today. God, as we choose to walk in obedience to you, we lift your name up higher than ours. We lift it up. 
If you have a prayer need in any area of your life, I just want to encourage you right up here along the side, we'll have a prayer team that would love to come along and and pray God into your situation as we worship. But let's lift him up. And if you're in the wilderness, I want you to lift him up even more as we proclaim God's word, God's voice. We proclaim God's will over our life even when it doesn't seem to be what we would choose, Lord. Have your way in us. Have your way, have your way, have your way.